You're listening to Look at My Records. This is episode 183, and I'm your host, Tom Gallo. For this edition of the podcast, I chatted with John Russell of Richmond, Virginia power trio Gnawing. Earlier this year, we chatted with the band on the Look at My Records website, but since then, they've released their debut album, You Freak Me Out. It dropped last week via Refresh Records, and it's an eclectic mix of big riffs, power pop hooks, and a bit of far-out cosmic country twang. During our interview, Russell and I chatted about how he shifted his focus from playing in heavier bands to writing the more pop-oriented music of gnawing, what it was like recording You Freak Me Out with COVID restrictions in place, how gnawing originally started as a side project and eventually evolved into a full-fledged band, and much more. Plus, John picked some awesome records from my record collection, including some choice cuts from Fountains of Wayne, Liz Fair, and The Beths. We'll dive into our interview right after the jump. If you're interested in hearing more episodes of Look at My Records, they're available on all streaming platforms. Please remember to rate, review, like, and subscribe on your platform of choice. I also encourage you to check out the Look at My Records website where you can find reviews, premieres of new music, playlists, and a whole lot more. Check it out at lookatmyrecords.com. Hey everyone, hope you're all ready for another exciting episode of Look at My Records. I'm here with John Russell of Richmond, Virginia's Gnawing. Hey, you may recognize Gnawing. They were recently the song of the week for their awesome lead single, So Glad. And we did a print interview on the Look at My Records site way back in January. So if you're a reader of the site, you're probably familiar with this great band, and I'm happy to have the front man here with me today. John Russell. John, how are you? I'm wonderful. It's it's an honor to be here. I'm so excited. And thank you for all of the, uh, the kind words um, building up to this. Oh, my pleasure. Your sound, your band's sound is basically right up my alley so it it was not hard for me to say kind stuff (laughs) (laughs) that's awesome you know when you just hit when you hit it what you're feeling you know when you hit your when when a band hones in on that sound that you love it's easy it's fun to listen yeah so yeah you already know that yeah that's cool and i'm Looking forward to chatting about how this project came together and stuff like that, because I know you played in a bunch of different bands that didn't really sound like gnawing in and around Richmond. So let's dive into that a little bit. Tell me a little bit about how this project started. It really started initially with, I think you kind of just messing around writing songs yourself, and then you kind of realized that I want to take this project a little more seriously 
Yeah, so I um, was living in, in Charlotte, North Carolina, and was playing drums in a band called All Right um, that's still currently active, um, and they're great. Um, and then I was playing guitar and uh, sharing some of the songwriting duties in a really heavy noise rock band um, called Planet Creep. Um, and it was really fun, uh, but it just sort of became... It just sort of became a weight to carry. Um, everything had to be so, like our whole goal was just being really loud and being really, you know, enveloping live. Um, and so it kind of, it kind of became too much to maintain that, like like every song had to be crushing and loud and depressing and, and all the bands we were playing with were crushing and loud and depressing. And it just be, kind of came, became a cycle of like super negativity and I was really bummed out, like I just was not having fun. Um, and so I kind of stripped away all of that and went back to, to the stuff that really got me interested in, in music, um, which was, you know, a lot of like Dinosaur Jr. and the Lemonheads and Gin Blossoms and Pavement, um, Liz Fair, Slater Kenny, stuff like that. Um, and then even like some classic rock stuff, you know, that's, that's really where I started to get into music was like Creedence Clearwater Revival and Jimi Hendrix and obviously the Beatles and the Beach Boys and stuff like that. Um, so I went back to that kind of stuff and was just writing um, sort of poppier stuff based off of that. And I knew that they couldn't be playing at Creep songs because they weren't uh, heavy. So basically what you said was that you kind of came around to appreciating this type of music again you mentioned a bunch of bands that you've probably always liked like dinosaur jr lemonheads but you also mentioned bands that i feel like i went through this phase in my life where you know these are bands i liked when i was really young and then i kind of got into my 20s and i was like oh these bands aren't cool anymore i, I think one you, you mentioned was credence in an interview you met mentioned the gym blossoms and things like that but then as i've gotten older i've kind of come around again to really appreciate what bands like that have done and really appreciate what great songwriters they were i wonder i was wondering if you went through something similar because talking to people i feel like it's kind of a common thing amongst people like us that have always really liked and listened to a lot of different music over the course of our lives yeah, definitely. Um, so, you know, my, my introduction to music was through my parents. Um, and obviously yeah. they listened to a lot of, um, like my dad loves the Beatles and Bob Dylan and the Beach Boys. Um, and my mom loves a lot of folk music and a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of stuff that, that was coming out around that time. A lot of Joni Mitchell uh, that was always playing in our household. Um, even stuff like, you know, Simon and Garfunkel, like they're huge on that. So that was kind of my introduction to music. Um, and so then from there, I got a little bit more into that 60s stuff, but a little bit of the heavier stuff. So I got really into like The Who and Creedence Clearwater and Jimi Hendrix. Um, and then by the time that I had gotten into punk rock, I was like, oh, none of that is cool anymore. Yeah, yeah. Like I, I yeah, don't exactly, like any yeah. of that anymore. <laughs> like I even spray painted the black flag bars over a Jimi Hendrix shirt at one point, you know, like I, <laughs> I was like too cool for it. Um, and then I started reading and then I, so then I got really into Nirvana 
And then I started reading uh, interviews with Kurt Cobain and, and even, you know, interviews with like uh, Henry Rollins saying that he loves the Stooges and stuff like that. And I was like, wait, like all of my favorite songwriters love all these bands. Like, you know, like maybe it is punk, like maybe there are punk aspects to Creedence Clearwater's Fortunate Son, you know, or like maybe Jimi Hendrix being an African-American musician in a largely, mostly white music scene is actually super fucking punk rock. Like maybe that's really cool. So then I kind of like re-radicalized on all of it and was like, wait, it's super punk to have like vocal melodies. (laughs) Like, yeah, totally. Three point harmonies are are punk rock. It's interesting how that happened because it, it definitely happened for me. And I think it's a pretty common experience for a lot of musicians and people that are really inter- into music like you and me. Well, I remember I was shocked when I first saw the Minutemen documentary that came out like 15 years ago yep. and how much they loved Creedence yeah. because they just, that was what they were exposed to at first. And they kind of just like went, you know, along with it. Yeah, totally. That, that was a huge, uh, turning point for me was was watching that and realizing like like Mike Watt was saying like they all wore flannels because of John Fogarty and like <laughs> like they were like we just thought that that's what punk was like they were like we just thought Creed and Squarewater was a punk band like we didn't know and I was like damn like so then I like went back and revisited like you know Green River and, and Bayou Country and stuff and I was like man like all of this stuff is about like working class struggles and like you know, disparity of wealth and stuff like that. This is fucking punk as shit. Like it's yeah. so cool. And they're chugling. Like that's awesome. <laughs> for, sure. for sure. For sure. Definitely with respect to credence without a doubt. Yeah. So with this project, when you started working on it, did you envision it would become your main project or did you kind of think this is something I'll do on the side and still be involved with projects that are a little heavier sounding and things like that what what did you initially uh envision this being i didn't even think that far ahead really um so i i had so matheson avenue the the one of the songs off the first tape was the first thing that i that i had written for it um and that was that was the song that i was like decidedly like this can't be a planet creep song because it's just not heavy it's not in drop c or whatever we were playing in Um, So I just kind of kept messing around with other songs that sounded similar to that one and was like, and this was right before I was about to move out of Charlotte and move to Richmond anyways. Um, And so I was like, you know what, like this will kind of be my, like I'll record these five songs. This will kind of be my goodbye to Charlotte, you know, because I was recording it with one of my really close friends, Michael Kuhn. Um, And so it was sort of, you know, I was like, this will be a fun project for me and him to do right before I leave. You know, we'll get to spend all this time together recording and all this stuff uh and then and then i just kind of decided like i had cauterized it in my head by the time i got to richmond and the tapes actually came to me in the mail um i shipped out the ones that people had pre-ordered and then put them in a box in in my closet and was like okay like that project is uh, that was fun like i did that and had no intention of it being another band um and then i started working at guitar center uh doing repair tech stuff there and that's where I met Christian, who plays drums and gnawing. And, oh, wow. Uh, yeah. And so, and he, he was, uh, you know, we, we both immediately were like, oh, cool. Like, you're one of the cool ones here. Like, we can, we can be homies. <laughs> so we started talking, and, and he's just a phenomenal drummer. I had seen him play with his old band, Shiloh, a couple of times. Um, he's just a phenomenal drummer. And as a drummer, 
turned guitarist. I love good drummers. So I was like, man, I like I kept telling him, I was like, I have to be in a band with you, like no matter what it is, we have to play music together. And he was like, well, do you have anything? Like, do you have anything you're working on? Um, and I showed him the tape and was like, this is not really like, I was like, I don't really, you know, know what to do with this, but I, I wrote these and recorded these right before I moved here. If you want to check it out and tell me what you think. And, uh, I remember he texted me and was like, yo, these are sick. Like we, we need to just play these. And I was like, wait, like, no, like you can't be for real. Like they're, they're like, whatever, like they're cool, but I don't know. And he's like, no, he's like, we, we need to like, just play these songs. And I was like, okay, cool. Like, let's do it. So we got together and jammed on it. Um, and then at that point, like I had kind of had a couple of other riffs that, uh, sounded similar, but I, again, in my head was like, well, gnawing is not a real band, so I'm not writing these for anything. So I just saved them. Um, but once we, once I started jamming with him, I started showing him other stuff and just kind of snowballed into being the only band that I'm currently in right now, which is great as someone who at one point has been in like four bands at one time. Yeah. So it's cool that this has become your main focus because it sounds like it's a sound that you've really wanted to pursue and you freak me out is a great record it's been a weird year of course what was the last year like for you musically did you write and record this record during the pandemic we did um and i it's it's funny because i was just talking to the last time that we had band practice um getting ready for all the sort of rollout stuff that we're about to do um we were talking about how uh, right up until COVID, um, we were we were really slowly working on new stuff, um, and so we we had signed the contract with Refresh Records, uh, knowing that he wanted a, a full length. Um, but we're mostly just we had already had the recordings for Shaky, so we were really excited just to put the seven inch out. And so once that was out, we were like, okay, like we know we know that the expectation is we're going to have a, a full length ready for Josh at some point. Um, but we just with the amount of like all three of us were very busy with, with jobs and real life. Um, and, and we were gigging a lot too. And we probably played like, you know, it's, it doesn't sound like a lot, but in our brains, we were playing like two or three gigs a month, um, locally. And so that like kind of, you know, the only times that we would get together would be to like practice the set for that show. Yeah. Um, so we, we weren't really like working on new stuff. So it's kind of funny because in a way COVID made us like gave us no other option but to focus on the LP. Like we everything just stopped. You know, we there weren't shows to practice for. Um, at one point, two of us were were in you know kind of fluctuating employment states so that we had a little bit more free time to to like get together and jam and stuff. Um, and then for, for the first part of it, we were very responsible and like didn't jam or anything. But then once we kind of figured out that we could space our practice space out yeah. and, and double mask and stuff, once data, you know, kind of started to come out, we were like, all right, let's, you know, like, let's grind this out. Um, and then we did, we recorded with Alan, uh, during, we recorded with Alan over the summer. So it was definitely during COVID times. Um, and that process was really weird too, because the studio would only let, uh, they called it essential personnel. So only the person that was tracking and if that person that was tracking needed like a reference member, that member could be there. So when Christian did drums, I was the only other one other than Alan who was, you know, upstairs in the recording booth. 
um, me and Christian were the only ones that were allowed in the live room for, for like safety precautions. So he's just playing to like all my scratch. Like I just sat there and played live with him while he tracked drums. Um, and then when Chris tracked bass, it was just me and him and Alan while he was tracking the bass parts. Um, and then like, like on vocal days, the only the person doing vocals could be there. Like it was really weird to like, we were so excited because it was our first LP, but then we were like, none of us were like really together during the process of it. Yeah. Wow. That's really, really interesting. And, yeah. and what was that challenging in some ways, or do you think you were able to kind of roll with it? You seem to be, you know, the type of person that adapted really well to the circumstances of the last year based on what I see on the internet and things like that. But, you know, it, I'm sure it was challenging. How challenging was that, the way the recording was set up? It, it was definitely challenging um, just because I'm so used to, you know, everybody being there uh, and everybody being able to kind of chime in um, and, and have opinions about stuff. Uh, so especially on like vocal days where it was just me and Alan, um, Alan, you know, there was a reason we recorded with him. I think that he is a phenomenal uh, engineer. I think that he has an incredible ear for, for harmonies and melodies and stuff. Um, way better at that kind of thing than I am. So obviously his input was very, you know, I, I took everything he said to heart and wanted his input. But on vocal days where we were kind of, where the two of us were kind of trying to figure out if we liked something or if something was working or not, it would have been really cool to have Chris or Christian or both of yeah. them and have them to kind of bounce ideas off and be like, hey, do you guys rock with this? Does this sound cool? Is this not working? You know, should the... Would it help if we add a harmony? Christian, do you want to jump in the booth and do a harmony really quick? You know, like like I was, for reference tracks, I was like singing my own harmonies to my own voice, which like I'm already not a powerful singer. So it's like we were, you know, there were definitely times where I was like, man, it would be really cool to have my two other bandmates here to like make sure that this is cool. But I, I'm i still very, you know, I, I love the record. I'm still very, very proud of it. I think that we did the best of what we could do given the situation and came out with a, you know, a banging record in my opinion. Yeah. You freak me out is definitely a banging record. Listening to you talk about the recording process. I had a, just a related question and it seems like you really enjoy the camaraderie of being in a band and the way you can bounce ideas off of one another and get good feedback that makes the music better from your bass player or your drummer. I was curious about why you kind of decided to expand this into a full band project rather than maybe just keeping it as a solo project with musicians that would be sort of like, you know, hired guns like some people do. You, you kind of made a conscious decision to make this into a, a band, even though it kind of originally started out as your solo project. Sure, definitely. Um, I don't know. I mean, I think that you know, like I said, the, the, when I, at the time that I was doing the tape as a solo project, it was just going to be that one tape. And I didn't really think about it in a longer term context. Yeah. Um, so once I did that, mostly I just wanted to prove to myself that I could write five songs, play the drums on five songs, play the bass on five songs, play rhythm guitar and lead guitar on five songs, sing, you know, like that I could do everything and still have it be like a kind of decent sounding record. Um, and so once I did that, I was like, okay, cool, like that, you know, I've checked that off. 
And so I, it, and plus like, you know, I feel like I can always tell when a project is a solo project and, and musicians are bouncing in and out, especially live. And for me, yeah, the main, you know, like I, I, we're not making income off of this band or anything, you know, this is not like our, the way we support ourselves. Um, so for me, the, the live show has always been why I play music. Cause I love playing gigs and I love turning my AC 30 up until someone yells at me to turn it down and, yeah. and rocking with the drums. And, and, and I like the fact that we are so familiar with each other and have spent so much time together that we play together really well. Um, and I think I would be, you know, I guess, you know, there are plenty of bands that could totally trick me and have session players. And I'd be like, man, these guys have been playing together for 20 years. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I feel like sometimes, especially on a DIY level, I can tell when when it is a fill-in. And sometimes, you know, like I'm sure that there will be shows in the future that like Chris can't play and we'll need a fill-in bass player or something like that. Um, but, you know, I, I just, the idea of it is like, okay, like if we're gonna play live and not make any money anyways, we might as well have like a, the most fun for that yeah, 25 yeah, minutes yeah. while we're on stage. And the way to do that for me is like be really tight and know each other. Like me and Christian just, it, it's like, it's like chemical at this point. Like I, I know where he's going to go. He knows where I'm going to go. If we're, if we're like fucking around and extending apart live or something, I know exactly when he's going to get quiet or when he's going to get loud. And Chris is like, you know, Chris is the, the super glue between me and Christian. So me and Christian are flailing and turning on every pedal I have. And Christian's, you know, going all over. And Chris is just like locked in. And he like, he's always the one that we look at on the other side of the stage. And he's like, all right, like, like, bring it back around. Like, come on, guys. Like, he's the one that kind of keeps us coming back to it. So for that, for that reason, it's like, all right, like this, you know, and, the, and they're two of my best friends. So it's like. Why would it not be a democratic process and why would it not be the three of us? Because it's so much fun as the three of us, you know? Yeah, so it sounds like the band was really gigging a lot before you recorded Shaky and before, you know, you recorded this record. Because when you recorded this record, uh, there weren't really any gigs happening. But how do you think that helped... Uh, writing the songs on this record and recording it do you think you already had like a strong chemistry going into making this record yeah definitely and I, and i think that that helped you know going going back to how we all had to track it in a weird way and kind of separately i think because we played so well together when it is the three of us in a room um i think it kind of made that less difficult than it than it could have possibly been you know if if we had if it was session musicians or if it was like maybe the third or fourth time we had gotten together was the actual time where we were recording i think it could have been extremely difficult to kind of translate uh you know my ideas because i'm not i don't have like any theory knowledge or anything so when i'm explaining a part to christian or chris i'm like yeah so we'll like We'll come back to the like, fuck a fuck, wow, wow. We'll come back to that part, and then we'll go back to this part, and they're like, yeah, sure, like cool, whatever. <laughs> like they just, they can translate me now. Like I, they're they're both my like, you know, they're my closed captions on Netflix now. Yeah, how do you think that? Because it sounds like this was really the first set of songs that you worked on together as a band. How do you think that dynamic changed the way the songs turned out? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that it's just, 
even if it didn't actually change the songs, um, it just changed kind of the the vibe to it. Like like Shaky was a pretty democratic effort, um, and and the and each of them had input for the two songs that are on the seven inch. But at the end of the day, those were two songs that I pretty much just showed them as completed songs. Yeah. Um, and so getting to like like really hammer out details of these songs in the practice space instead of just being like hey this is a three minute song here's everything that's going to happen in it you know having having christian say like oh i've always wanted to put like a little you know what if after the second verse we throw a little kickback to that main you know to that intro riff that you did and like stuff like that like just little details so even if it doesn't change the vibe of the song overall um, and sometimes it did, but you know, even if it doesn't, just having something that all three of us can kind of take ownership over and all three of us can kind of be like, you know, like it doesn't feel so much like a John Russell and the Nollings project, you know, it's, it's, it really yeah. does feel like, and like swimming pool is Christian's song. Christian wrote that oh, no, song. It's a sick song. It's a, it, I was like, he was sitting on it and was like. He was like, I don't know if it's any good. Like, like he sent me a demo of it, and he's like, I don't know if it's any good. Like, you know, if you if you liked it, could we put it on the record? And I listened to the to the, even the demo version was like, this is this is better than any song I've ever written. I was like, I'm mad at you, dude. Like, this is an incredible song. Like, <laughs> so, good song for yeah, sure. Yeah, it's killer, and like it, you know, and it, it's like real. It's lived experience for him. Like, it's coming off of some real shit. So like, I always appreciate that kind of like unfiltered honesty uh, in a song like that. And so I was like, dude, that song's going on the record. Like, that's incredible. And so he played guitar on it. He played the solo on it. He sang. Um, you know, I was doing a little of the harmonies. He he did the drum part. Like, it was awesome to have him that involved in it, you know. And I think that kind of thing is, is if it was a solo project, like, I can't imagine being a session player on a recording and being like, hey, I have a song for some person you don't even know, you know. <laughs> like, hey, I want to put this song on your record, like. So that kind of thing, I don't like that energy wouldn't have happened if we hadn't done so much work of just making it like just be the three of us and just having fun, you know? Yeah, totally. And as we mentioned a little earlier, you know, there's definitely a big 90s indie rock, alternative rock and power pop influence on the record. What about that sound is attractive? to you i don't know i mean it's like i love electric guitars to me like i still every time i play a new guitar or get a new pedal or even just play my same old gear that i've had for forever like every time it it feels like the same way of like the first time that i heard like you know i don't know like like satisfaction or like purple haze or something where you're like you were like whoa like that's a guitar yeah. like <laughs> I still, I just love massive, saturated, distorted guitar tracks. Um, and, you know, I think that the 90s was just kind of that even even everything that was like anything that was like a one hit wonder or stuff that was on the radio. You know, if you're talking about like Jim Blossoms and stuff, like even even stuff like it was just everywhere. Like it's on the soundtrack of every movie, like, you know, like Mud Honey is on multiple movie soundtracks like that yeah. that kind of stuff just doesn't happen now you know like the bands of that level don't get that kind of just total immersion now um so i think i don't know i just 
I love fuzzy guitars and the nineties just seem to be all about fuzzy guitars. Yeah, you definitely, there's big guitars on this record. You work in a lot of awesome riffs. Who do you draw inspiration from specifically as far as your guitar playing is concerned? And how do you think your guitar playing has changed since starting this project? Um, for, for inspiration, definitely. So Jimi Hendrix is my, like still to this day, is just my favorite musician of all time. Um, I just think he's the coolest. It never gets old to me. The records never cease to blow my mind that someone could think of things like that. Uh, that is all to say that I am nowhere near the skill level of Jimi Hendrix. So mm -hmm. inspiration-wise, I try to shoot for the moon like Jimi Hendrix did while not being able to play any of the things that he plays. Um, but definitely, you know, obviously, definitely Jay Mascus. I love him. Dinosaur is one of my favorite bands. I love the way that he approaches effects and, um, you know, how he is still really into soloing because I think guitar solos are fucking cool. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, Steve Turner from Mud Honey is a huge. Steve and Mark both really, but but Steve's yeah. solos, how he, I love. And there's a couple times on the record where Alan, um, who who recorded it, was was like, "Man, you're like really Mud Honeying this one," because like I like I just love the way that Steve plays a solo, but it's not really a solo. Like he just kind of like. It's almost kind of like a Greg Ginn type thing, like a Black Flag type thing. Like he, it's, you know, I don't want to say like anti-solo because that sounds really uh, stupid, but he, he just kind of like throws some, throws some crazy pedals on something, throws some bends in there and make sure that, that he's in the right key. And like, that's the solo for him. And so that, that's the kind of skill level that I can really uh, appreciate because that's, that's about where I'm at. Um, but leading up to recording, uh, the, the LP specifically, I got really into, cause I had, you know, I was working from home. So I had like a ton of downtime in front of a computer. Um, so I got really into practicing scales. Um, so if anything, I think my guitar playing has hopefully gotten a little bit better. Um, I think my solos have gotten a little bit more melodic and a little bit better just because I spent so much time, like for the first time in, in, you know, 10 years of playing the guitar, I finally had like a practice routine and would like, you know, sit down and have a set amount of time every day that I was trying to play guitar or learning other people's songs or learning other people's solos. Uh, so I feel like I hopefully improved a little bit in that regard. Yeah. And there's definitely a country influence on the record too, particularly on Crenshaw Ave and Blue Moon New. How'd you develop an appreciation for country music? Uh, definitely early on. Um, my dad loves uh, all things um, Willie Nelson and Waylon Jennings and Hank Sr. And he, he loves like, uh, you know, Johnny Cash, any of the classic like dad country artists. Uh, my dad definitely loves. And so he got me into that really at a really young age. Um, and then, you know, sort of like we were talking about earlier, how you kind of revisit that stuff and you're like, man, yeah. this is actually really cool. So I got really back into um, specifically like like the Country Dylan records, which I just think are phenomenal and beautiful records. Um, and I got really back into uh, the era where, where the Stones were really country, which of course comes from Graham Parsons. 
Uh, and so then I, I got into a, a really huge, probably in my mid twenties, I got into a really huge Graham Parsons rut where like all I was doing was listening to Graham Parsons or Flying Burrito Brothers or Sweetheart of the Rodeo. Um, yeah, great record. <laughs> great record. Fantastic record. Uh, and, the, and of course, uh, I have to say um, Towns Van Zant is one of, if not my favorite songwriter of all time. Um, so, you know, Towns Van Zant borders a little bit more folky sometimes, but definitely has that, that drawl and that, that twang to his voice. Um, so in my mind, I think he's a country singer. I think he gets written as a, a written about as a, a folk singer a lot. But yeah, tell us about those two tracks specifically because they definitely stand out. They're beautiful songs, Crenshaw Ave and Blue Moon New. Appreciate it. Um, so Crenshaw, Crenshaw was really kind of my ode musically. Crenshaw was kind of my ode to um, to you know like Graham, Cosmic Country, like like Graham Parsons yeah. um, and Townsend's Aunt and. Uh, and you know any of that mid '60s, early '70s stuff, the, you know Stones era where they were doing that, you know Dead Flowers and all of that good stuff. Um, but it was also uh, I really wanted to kind of write like a ripoff Big Star song. Um, nice. And Chris Bell, you know, like again, Chris Bell is one of my favorite songwriters. So I really, really wanted to kind of write my own version of "I Am the Cosmos." Um, and what we ended up with is not really. I think the big star reference is there, but in, when I was writing it, I was like, man, like this might be too close to I Am The Cosmos. So I'm glad that the final product actually didn't end up sounding exactly like it. Um, but it, it like, you know, there's like the, the, all of the sort of rhythm guitars in the verses of Crenshaw is a, is a strat on the neck pickup with tremolo on it. So we really were just like aiming for that big star tone. Um, and it's the it is i named it after crenshaw avenue which is the avenue that uh i lived on when i first moved to richmond um, and so i kind of wrote it with in mind as kind of the the sister song to matheson avenue uh which was the street i lived on in charlotte when i wrote that song um and it just kind of you know it's just more kind of autobiographical uh but a little bit more matheson is kind of like uh, saccharine and, and sweet about like a long distance relationship. Crenshaw is kind of about like, you know, and Blue Moon, Blue Moon New touches on that too, where it's like there, there can be kind of like this melancholic sadness of being really happy in a relationship, but also being like, man, like it's kind of hard to, <laughs> to maintain like this happiness every single day. You have to like choose, especially if you're, you know, are working like like when we first moved to Richmond uh, my partner and I we were both working like six jobs and hated all of them and we were still like totally broke um, that's where that line comes in and Crenshaw uh, sold my telly to pay rent I literally had my dream guitar which was a 72 deluxe telly um, and sold it so that I could pay rent <laughs> in one month so you know it's it's autobiographical um, but you know it's it's kind of it's it's intimate without being like an expose or anything like that. Um, I just I just want to be transparent about my experiences in hopes that even like one person can hear Crenshaw and be in a similar place in their twenties or in their life and relate to it and feel some sort of like you know like damn someone else out there has felt this before because that's what music is for me especially stuff like 
like Towns Van Zandt or even like, you know, Evan Dando and Lemonhead stuff. Like, it's like, man, sometimes I think I'm the only person whose brain works like this. And then you hear someone else write a song about that and you're like, wow, that's really helpful. Is this the first project where you've really had the opportunity to write lyrics that are that personal and close to your own experiences? And what's that been like for you? It, it definitely is. Um, everything else that I've been a primary or even just kind of shared songwriter in has been obscured by some other motif or aesthetic. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, like I was saying with Planet Creep, everything, it, those, the lyrics of Planet Creep for me are very cathartic and autobiographical, but nobody can tell because we ran the mics through distortion and the lyrics are all, you know, I tried to keep everything like kind of haiku-ish almost with like very yeah. minimal, every line of a, of a verse was like three words or something. Uh, and so this is definitely the, the first time that I've really like, like, you know, sort of almost started with a concept or started with just sort of like vomiting on a page and then parsing it down and editing it and turning it into a real song instead of just like having a a cool riff that sounds like you know quicksand and being like all right i'll i'll yell over this <laughs> a, a cool melvin's riff and being like yeah i'll say something over this yeah it sounds like there's more of an emphasis on the the messaging for you definitely in these songs definitely it's cool it's it's it can be especially uh playing them live luckily we play it loud enough that i'm not sure that anyone has ever actually heard an entire gnawing lyric but um playing it live can be kind of scary at first because you're like man like this is this is like some kind of personal shit that i'm about to sing to a bar of like 12 people in greensboro <laughs> north carolina or washington dc <laughs> Um, especially like in shows in Richmond too, where like all of your friends are there and like, you know, if my, if my partner is at the show, people are like, sometimes I'll look at her and be like, wow, like, is this like, can you confirm that this is true or not? Yeah. So that's definitely nerve wracking for sure. I mean, and the first time really doing something like that is, it's gotta be hard at first. Yeah, for sure. yeah definitely. But the, it ends up, um, being therapeutic and and cathartic and it ends up sort of now it's it's almost to the point where now that's like that's where i get closure on stuff or healing on stuff or even just a better perspective on things of like you know like with crenshaw like i i can look at it now and laugh at selling my telly to pay rent or you know giving up uh stimulating drugs <laughs> for for slower times and and you know being just being more present you know i can kind of laugh at that stuff now when at the time when i was writing it like felt very emotional to admit on paper you know that that i was struggling with these things um so it's it's cool it's it's helpful yeah i wanted to ask about swimming pool so i know christian wrote it christian wrote it um i will i will do my best to answer best, best exactly <laughs> yeah because i thought it was a really cool track and i was just wondering how it came together i really like the guitars about third of the way through two-thirds of the way through before it kind of like comes down it's kind of i'm not sure it's like a solo without being a solo sort of it's yeah. kind of just like hammering on the guitar really yeah hard. definitely and i thought it was great and so just uh, whatever you know about the song how to come together and 
I also really thought the lyrical content was powerful too, as it appears to address uh, substance abuse issues, which kind of comes up a couple of different times on the record. Yeah, yeah. Um, so he, like I said, he he had written it um, sort of a, in his similar way of of processing. Um, he had just come out of a, a really, really, really unhealthy relationship, um, a very, very like difficult and kind of scary at some points for for those of us that were on the outside of it. Um, you know, where, where we were often like, dude, are like, are you okay? Like, is, you know, this seems like it's really taking a toll on you. Um, so he had just come out of that. And so it's, it is really, I mean, like, if you look at the lyrics, like the first time he showed me, I, I heard the song before I read the lyrics, but the first time he showed me the lyrics, I was like, damn, dude, like, whoa, yeah. like, this is hefty. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's awesome for him that he, got to have that you know that he got to have that kind of closure and that kind of uh that that therapeutic relief too um but yeah i mean i think it's it's just him kind of processing how hard it is to uh want something better want a better situation for someone who doesn't really want it for themselves or isn't aware that they that they want it or don't want it for themselves um and, and just having that conversation over and over. And of course, you know, dealing with, with substance reliance and on any level, you know, even if it's just a small reliance on, on a substance is, is taxing for, for any partners or family members or friends. Um, and it's something that all three of us have been on either side of, you know, it's, it's, it's sort of a lived experience that all three of us have kind of had in our lives on, on either side. Um, but just just trying to be like as patient and as empathetic and as loving as you can and, and having the other person just not wanting that that same level of of care for themselves or care for their partner and things like that. So I'm really glad that he had the opportunity to, to write about that and really get that out of his system because now he's just he's just cruising and happy and <laughs> playing his drums and playing his guitars. He's great now. Awesome. So happy for christian what a guy what a, what guy. a drummer what a drummer man what a drummer what a drummer <laughs> i like how you put this track fab one or fab fab minus one dash one in the middle of the record i says fab dash one everyone out yeah. there fab one is fab one yeah it's a it's fab a fab one it's a thunderbirds the reference the, the the old marionettes who solved oh, international damn. mysteries. It's, it's a reference to that show. <laughs> Thund Thunderbirds are go. Yeah. yeah. Damn. <laughs> damn. I can't believe I didn't get that reference. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> well, so it's like this lo-fi hazy short track in the middle. It's cool. Cause it's right in the middle. If you're streaming, it breaks up the record in two. If you're listening to it on vinyl, it's either, the first track on the B side yeah. or the last track on the A side. So it's the first track on the B side. Tell me a little bit about that track, why you placed it there, the inspiration behind the title. Cause I always find these middle tracks that break up the record cool. And I love hearing about the band or artists thought process behind placement and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, so fab one, uh, is, actually uh is is chris's um sole writing credit on the record because it's his riff oh, sick. yeah it's his it's his riff um it 
originated as uh, the the earliest known documentation of it is a voice memo on my phone, and the title of the voice memo is Doom Riff, um, and I think it <laughs> <laughs> I think it was from. Uh, I want to say it's November of 19 was the first time we ever fucked around with it. Um, but it was sort of just kind of a, a practice space, you know, when we were stuck on something or when we, yeah. or when we were just bored or when, you know, just wanted to noodle around or, or fuck around. Um, all three of us really, really love doom metal and stoner metal and, oh, and heavy stuff like that. So we, you know, it's like, we, we always laugh that we're like, you know, three like ex metal or hardcore kids that now play in like a, a soft, you know, sweet indie rock band that has country songs. So we always jam on doom riff just to kind of have, you know, it's, it was truly just like a fun practice space song for us. Um, and when we were sequencing the record, we were like, man, like, you know, the, the, the heaviness and the emotional weight of Crenshaw, which closes out the A side, it's really hard to just say, you know, to have all these emotions and say all this stuff and then just jump right into another song. You know, like we, we were like trying to figure out what we could do that would kind of break that up. Um, and, and, you know, if you're streaming would make someone kind of spend that minute 30 or however long yeah. Fab One is kind of reflecting on, on what was happening on the A side before they start the B side. And then if you're flipping the record, you know, obviously having that, that, actual physical break of having to get up flip the record putting it back on and then the you know this crazy doom riff starts so then you're like kind of like whoa like you know it brings you like if you're if you're starting to if your attention is starting to lull you're like brought back in because you're like whoa like what is this like everything sounds like kind of out of tune and distorted um so that recording is from our practice space uh and then i overdubbed another fuzzy wah filled guitar solo over top of it so there are two guitar solos going at the same time i think they're mixed in in opposite ears um and yeah we just thought that we had we had like a six minute segment of doom riff and we were like what if we just took a really good like minute and a half chunk of that song yeah and just threw it in the middle of the record just to kind of break everything up and and give Crenshaw and everything that happens before Crenshaw give that kind of a space to breathe and then let everybody kind of get ready for the, you know, the closing of the, the grand exit. Interesting. Of the yeah. Yeah. It's a good palate cleanser, reset, rewiring for listeners. Cool track right there, which originally started as doom. Right? Tell me about the title track, You Freak Me Out, and the lead single, So Glad, which is an awesome song. They're both great tracks. Yeah, um, so You Freak Me Out uh, is, I had I had the title, You Freak Me Out, um, right honestly around the time of Shaky, uh, and maybe even a little bit before that, but I just knew that I wanted to call something You Freak Me Out, um, and thought it would be a cool record name, um, but then also was like, you know, my, my favorite, like, little trick that bands do is having a self-titled, or not a self-titled, but a title track. Um, title track. I love that. I don't know why, but it just works for me. I think it's really cool. So I was like, yeah, you know, th- this should, like, this record should have a title track. Um, so I, I did the, like, big songwriting no-no and wrote a song with the, the phrase, You Freak Me Out, in mind. Like, already titled a song before it was ever a song. Um, 
but it's just kind of a you know more more autobiographical stuff it's it's dealing with you know the the reckoning of exiting exiting your 20s and you know having to be like a little bit more uh, you know less of a shithead you know being a little bit yeah. more of an adult i know um, man damn yeah like it's uh, and like <laughs> you know and like like it, it deals with a lot of anxiety as having before i got married um you know just being like wow like i'm gonna have to like kind of get my shit together now <laughs> like i kind of have to be like a you know a, a put together person now um and be on top of my shit uh and so it's just kind of bouncing around with that with that idea of like I don't, I don't know that it's you, but you freak me out. Like it, you know, and anything that, that happens, it freaks me out. So that's kind of where it came from. Do you have a favorite song on this record or a song that you loved either the backstory or process of making? My favorite song, I, I think my favorite song is Crenshaw, um, just because it's so, uh, it's, it's, for someone who does a lot of like, you know, our whole thing, like, I don't know if you've like seen our in-depth Twitter, but we, at one point someone made fun of us and said that we were an honest and relatable rock and roll. A friend jokingly made fun of us and said yeah. we were honest and relatable. Um, and so I've like for years now have said like Richmond, Virginia's most honest and relatable rock and roll band. <laughs> so for someone that like kind of fucks around and hides a lot of stuff with, with jokes and like, you know, kind of, kind of shit posts, um, just in real life, Crenshaw is like very transparent and very honest and very like, uh, you know, it's, it's very like a very clean cut look at the inside of my brain, which I don't do a lot. So for that, for that reason alone, and cause it sounds like big star and cause I think the guitar solo is cool. Uh, I think for that reason, Crenshaw is my favorite song on the record. Um, but also and this ties back to the one I didn't address, but "So Glad" is also probably my favorite song on the record, um, just because it's you know. Yeah, great track. Uh, thank you. Yeah, I mean it's good lead single. Definitely that's, good. That's what. As soon as we tracked single. it, we were like, man, that's the one. Like that's that's the introduction to the to the world to this record, because um, it's just pure chorus. Like the verses are like, when we were tracking the video, Ben was like telling us what he wanted to do during the verses and he was like yeah each verse is like 10 seconds long so we just gotta like work quickly and, and make it happen because the verses are like in and out but the the chorus is you know we were really proud of the the earworm that is the chorus um so that that one is also probably my favorite song on the record just because i sometimes listen to it and i'm like damn i can't believe i wrote that like that's like that sounds like a real chorus to me like that sounds like a real like power pop song to me oh for sure it's definitely powerful pop <laughs> so let's hear that favorite song of yours crenshaw ab we're gonna play a couple of tracks from the record starting off with the lead single so glad followed by crenshaw ab and we're gonna wrap it up with swimming pool
All right, everyone, we just heard three tracks from Gnawing's brand new record, You Freak Me Out. We heard the lead single, So Glad, followed it up with Crenshaw Ave and wrapped up that set with Swimming Pool. Everyone, You Freak Me Out is the record. It's out now via Refresh Records. You can get yourself a copy on vinyl via Gnawing with two extra G's at the end. So that's G-N-A-W-I-N-G G-G dot bandcamp dot com. All right. Now, John picked some records from my record collection. We're gonna talk about what he picked you picked six awesome records some old some new some in between (laughs) some in between (laughs) but we're starting with the oldest so let's just go way back let's go let's go there we're going way back the year is 1978, the Rolling Stones released Some Girls, which is a record that you selected and you picked the track Beast of Burden. My favorite Stones record, so good choice. Oh, nice. So tell me a little bit about why you picked this one. Beast of Burden is, if I, if I had a gun to my head and had to pick, Beast of Burden is probably my favorite song of all time. Um, I think it is, it's, it's definitely my favorite Stone song. Um, and, and just in a more general sense, it's, I think it's my favorite song of all time. It's just a perfect song. Uh, the guitar, I mean, God, what a line, what a guitar line. And it just, every part of it, you know, is, is just really good to me. Um, and it, it is in that perfect Jagger Richards way. It is vague enough that you can really apply it to just about any situation in your life. And so I have shed many a tear and cracked open many a cold one over Beast of Burden or like being at a bar and hearing that shit come over the jukebox or come over the speakers is like, you're just like, oh yeah, like perfect. Like I really needed a, a, you know, a couple minutes to just really sit in my feelings and really have something to mope about. Um, It's it's my go-to song for any time I feel pouty or sad or taken advantage of or you know like you just get to be like i'll never be a beast of bird it's so good it's so good it's a great good, great fucking good, song good to belt that song yeah, out yeah. very cathartic my, my favorite part is the the never uh call and response at the end where it's like never 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 oh, yeah so good god it's so good great part <laughs> hey great song great song love that song Uptown Girl by the Beths off of Future Me Hates Me. Released in 2018. It was my favorite record of 2018, I think. If not my favorite, it was up there. I wish I could 
access the list right now. I'm pretty sure it was my favorite record of that year, though, because, man, I've never... Th that That's a record that blew me away. Great. Yeah, talk about modern-day power pop. That's definitely... Oh, definitely. It. Definitely. Yeah, a friend had... Um, a friend had sent me that record when it came out and, and had said, like, you'll, you'll really get into this. Like, you'll really like this. And I did the classic thing that has bitten me so many times before where I saved it, you know, on a, on a Spotify list or something. And I was like, cool, I'll come back to it. And never did, um, you know, for like a couple months. And then the next time I saw that person, uh, he was like, yo, did you ever listen to that Beth's record? And I was like, no, you know what? I never did. Um, and so I was in his car and he was like, well, you have to. And he played this, he played Uptown Girl. And I was just like, holy shit, like this, this is not a record you casually text to me. Like this is something that you have to hound me until I confirm with you that I've listened to it. Like this, it was just like, man, what a, what a power pop record. And like everything is, is so on point. Like guitar tones are insane all over that record. Drums are like crystal clear. The vocal, the melodies, like all four of them at some point are, are like doing harmonies and stuff. And if you watch live videos, like they do the same harmonies live, which is always incredible to me that anyone can pull that off. Even with modern in-ear technology, I just can't imagine being able to be that tight, you know, vocal melody wise. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, it's just a, a killer song, killer hook, mega chorus, super mega chorus. And then that whole record is too. It was it was up. I think it was one of my. I think it was my favorite for 2018. I can't remember what would have been if it wasn't, but it was definitely up there too. Well, the next one, this is a record that I sadly only really got into after Adam Schelsinger passed away last year. I am from New Jersey, but kind of always thought, oh, Founds of Wayne, Stacy's mom, who gives a shit? And then, wow, these first two records, the self-titled which you selected Survival Car, which is a great song, Utopia Parkway, even the record with Stacy's mom on it, Welcome Inter Interstate Managers, is awesome album. Unfortunately, I guess the band got a little overshadowed by the success of that song in a negative way. But when you really go back, dive into that first self-titled album, doesn't get much better than that, in my opinion. I was really floored about by how many times I've played it in my car on UCD over the last yeah. year. Oh, definitely. Uh, really incredible. And Survival Car is probably one of the best songs on the record, too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I love that hook. I love the... And it c keeps coming back to it, you know? Like, I, I just think that, that the, they're, they're so good at, like, finding a motif for a song and just revisiting it a thousand times, and it's still not being... Uh, tiring or, or burdensome to hear that that you know kind of part over and over again um, but yeah I mean that that record is start to finish like flawless like every yeah. every song 
on that self-titled record is amazing and catchy and relatable and sing-alongable too. Um, and I and I had a very similar relationship with with Fountains too, where for most of my cognizant adulthood was like, oh yeah, the Stacy's Mom band, and and even like I was like, cool, like you know that Stacy's Mom song rips, like that's a cool cool song, but just kind of assumed that they were like, you know, a, a classic like MTV one hit wonder because the video yeah. the yeah. video is what I always think of when I see that or when I hear that song. Um, and had only really kind of dug backwards uh, a little bit in college. Um, I definitely down. I definitely torrented the self-titled and had it and listened to it a couple times, but didn't. I didn't really like fall in love with it quite yet. Um, and then Ali, who played bass in Nalling before Chris played bass, um, she she was with us for like right up until the the shaky recording session. Um, she is and and she did a ton of harmony work on the on the lp too um she's she still is like very involved with all of our stuff and we love both of her bands um but she is like she's absolutely the biggest fountains of lane fan i've ever met in my life um and so hearing her like constantly talk about and she and she just loves like pop music in general she loves power pop and, and indie pop and stuff like that and so hearing her whose opinion I very much respect and think that she has great taste in music, hearing her say over and over and over again how good that self-titled record was, I was like, man, I, I got to go back to, to Fountains of Wayne and went back to it and was like, you know, like you're saying, like I was just like, holy shit. And so I really, yeah. really fell in love with them, like really deep in love with them, uh, you know, in like early 19 to mid-19. And then 2020 was when, when Adam died and yeah. it was just... Yeah fucking heartbreaking yeah, yeah devastating Tr- totally devastating. devastating and then you know it, you go back to and I, I saw something i always think about when i think about adam is this tweet that i saw that was like because you know you go back and look at all the writing credits he has and he's he truly is just he was a pop master like he could just write a good pop song um and the one that i always think about is that thing you do he wrote that thing you do yes, yes. and so somebody wrote a tweet that was like you know, one of the one of the things of his legacy that we should talk about is he had the Herculean task of creating a song that could be played what like nine times in that movie, and every single time you hear it, you're like, oh, like oh, this is yeah. killer! Yeah. Like every time they replay it, you're like, yes, play it again! Like that song is amazing. Yeah, really, really gifted songwriter. Truly, without, truly one of the best. Question: One of the greats. Yeah. Yeah, we we put him on our uh, on our liner notes. Um, we put at the very end. We put R.I.P. That's so nice. That's very nice of you to do. Wow, really, really cool. Don't you wanna ride in my survival car? You can take a long way home through Central Park. Funny how the crowd can find my wheels. I'm going where the road ain't there. Next, Who You Driving Now by Mud Honey off of Every Good Boy Deserves Fudge. You referenced Mud Honey earlier in the interview. I believe it's the 
30th anniversary of this record's release, too, released in 1991, and I know they're doing a bunch of stuff for it. I think there's a reissue, a bunch of cool stuff. Big box set and stuff. Yeah, head over to Sub Pop, check it out. But tell us a little bit about why you picked this track. So, Mud Honey, um, and actually I meant to reference this earlier, so this would have been now the third time that I've referenced Mud Honey. When you were talking about uh, why it felt so important to have uh, more of a democratic process and have it be the same three people playing in this band, um, I always think about, I don't know if you've seen it, but the Mud Honey documentary, they just always talk about how they were like, they were always friends first and then being in a band was sort of the afterthought. Like, yeah, like yeah. they truly are just the, the like, common people's band like they just they're just four regular fucking dudes that just play music and are incredible but act like it's no big deal like if they had only written touch me i'm sick they would still be you know like that's that is a truly especially for that era like that is the defining sound of like what a you know quote-unquote grunge song sounds like i mean that that's it that's the sound right there um and so they like just the they are are such an inspiration for me and how they carry themselves and how they don't care i've seen them so many times um through so many different phases of their popularity um because i think it kind of waxes and wanes a little bit like every once you know every couple years i think that they you know a group of kids kind of rereads an interview with kurt where he says how important mud honey was and then they get a, yeah. they get a little bit big again you know and then there are some tours where i've i've seen them on some tours where there there have been you know a decent sized crowd but I, but i've definitely seen them in packed rooms and then in not so packed yeah. rooms and every single time they play like they like they're absolutely like yeah. yeah terminal terminally ill and are going to pass away after that show you know like they play every single show like they have to destroy the stage before they get off yeah, yeah. or they haven't had a good that's show good yeah and so like that's, that's very it's, good. it's just a good and it's and it's good for me because you know with social media and stuff and like all like these days you know if you're 19 and have a song on tiktok you get to play riot fest you know and so like yeah for for a 30 year old guy that still has guitar solos in his songs it's kind of an inspiration to watch mud honey just continue to be mud honey for all these years and just keep sounding like them and like if it picks up it picks up and then if they get dropped from the major and go back to sub pop they do that and then put out one of the best records post major label years you know like so they are just every way that they compose themselves is just an inspiration for me to be to just keep doing the damn thing no matter who cares about it. Supernova by Liz Bear off of Whip Smart. My favorite Liz Bear record. Me too. Good choice. Tell me a little bit about why you picked this this one. She's got a new album coming out. She does. It's it's good. It's really good. It's um I mean I, I think that 
the biggest I always tell people that Liz Fair is like a, a big inspiration for me as a songwriter. And I think that that gets like a, sometimes people will kind of be like, huh? or like, you know, it kind of gets like a, like, oh, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but she really is. And like, she true, like she, she writes songs the way that I hope that sometimes I do. And, and at, at the very least wish to write songs in the way that she does, where it's just like, so uh, disarmingly honest and like really I mean she really just puts it out there sometimes um, and so and and Supernova is is that way but also Supernova is just a killer riff I love the guitar riff I think it's got such a good and it's so simple I love how like deceptively simple uh, her songs and, and her music as a whole but especially on the on the whipstart era and and you know a little bit of the guyville era too and even going back to like girly sound stuff like it's it's very simple chord wise but contains so much depth in in lyrics and emotion and stuff that it's like you can't even notice how simple the guitar parts are and stuff not least this record came out last year so very recent lilacs by waxahachi off of saint cloud yeah i mean so i i admittedly am a katie crutchfield super fan um i've been a fan since ps elliot um have really loved all of her projects i think that she you know again just a pound for pound fucking incredible songwriter finds incredible ways to say things um and she is from the south so that yeah. is yeah. huge for me i love i love yeah, totally. any any references to the south i'm always you know any references to the south that aren't fucking extremely problematic i love <laughs> um so I, I just think she's a phenomenal songwriter and St. Cloud was, was my favorite record that came out last year. It's a, you know, for as someone who has loved all of her work, this is such a phenomenal fucking step up for her and just really like, I mean, I think she's in her prime. Like, it, like this is yeah, just yeah, some, of, it's sure. some of the best stuff she's ever put out. Um, and it's, and it's heavy on like the, the love for like Lucinda Williams, which again, you know, ties back to my my love for country and stuff and yeah i mean i think and, and especially lilacs man it's just like a it's one of the, the first time i heard it i was like it's one of those songs where you're like man i wish i fucking wrote that like that hook like you're just like damn it why could like i wish i thought of that like that's so good it's so catchy it's so awesome All right, everyone, coming to the end of today's episode. It was so great hanging and chatting with John Russell of Gnawing 
Hey, people, gnawing. Their new record is out now. It's called You Freak Me Out. It's out on Refresh Records. You can get a copy on limited edition translucent green vinyl with white splatter limited to 100 units or black vinyl limited to 150 units so act fast don't sleep on it there's also t-shirt bundle you got some other cool merch here too uh kind of throwback looking press photo i love those the black and white press photo a toothbrush and a bookmark in addition to a cool gray t-shirt with a guitar pedal on it john What's next for the band now that the record is out? Are you playing any gigs around the Richmond area, touring at all later this year or next year? What's what's the, what's plan? the plan? We we are. We um we have a record release show on July 10th at Cobra Cabana, which is a well-loved restaurant in town here. Um, they have a big patio, and so we're going to play on the patio. Um, because July still feels a little early to be back fully indoors and having a gig. Um, so we want to be respectful and, and have it outside. Totally. Um, we are easing our way back into to touring. Um, we have a we have a long weekend booked every month um, from August through the end of the year, which is exciting. Um, and then 2022, we're hoping that, you know, there will be a little bit more uh, understanding of of how long the vaccines last and how safe it is to be in this kind of setting for extended periods of time. And we're hoping to to definitely uh, hit the road in 2022 and, and have some longer tours booked and set up. Awesome. Can't wait for that. And everyone, get the record on vinyl. Yeah, the green is running via out. Via band camp. The green is running out, so listen to me. <laughs> G-N-A-W-I-N-G-G-G.bandcamp.com. That's gnawing with two extra G's at the end, and you can get your hands on this album. John, thank you so much for chatting with me. Thank you. Congrats on the release of this awesome, awesome record. Thanks. I I really appreciate it. This was a really fun time. I appreciate your, your hour and a half of my day and your day. It was my pleasure, and we're going to wrap up the episode with one last track from You Freak Me Out. This is the final track on the record, Worst Person I Know.
big red button. <laughs>